Hi, it's Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. One of the best ways that you can do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. Before you get started with today's message, I wanted to let you know that it's now available wherever you buy your books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I wrote Poverty, Riches, and Wealth to help you move from the never-enough mentality into a true kingdom abundance from the inside out. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy this message. Um, I want to talk tonight, I actually have a theme going on. Actually, this is... Joking aside, uh, this afternoon I was supposed to meet Kathy at a certain place and I, I got ready and, and to leave. And, I, I, and this rarely happens to me, to be honest. I'm not the spiritual. But as I started to exit the door, I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to leave until you spend some time with me. So I'd done that a little bit in the morning, so I'm like, okay, I, call, I text Kathy and said, you know, you have to pick me up here. I'm, I'm supposed to just be here for a little bit. So I just laid on the couch and, okay, what, what are we going to talk about? And, and I really felt like the Lord gave me, uh, just really simple, like, it's nothing I didn't know, but I love when the Lord begins to, like, create a theme. Because, you know, you're going to be here for a few days, and there's going to be a lot of different speakers, and it's going to be wonderful. And, you know, all, all of us have more to say than we're going to be able to say in our sessions. So I'm always like, okay, exactly what is it I'm supposed to talk about? Because we're each going to play a part, and I'm definitely not the whole. So... And, and I, I felt the Lord said, talk to me about culture, about developing prophetic culture. And I, I do believe that, you know, one of the main responsibilities of a New Testament prophet, and we're going to talk about prophets, and I, I hopefully I'm going to teach uh, just some, some really simple stuff too. Um, sometimes what's simple to one person is profound to another, because how many know we all learn at different places? And, uh, and when we do questions and answers, I really want to encourage you, like, you know, what makes people really big is that they humble themselves and say, I don't know something. And uh, nothing's more frustrating to me, as kind of one of my pet peeves, is I go, I, I, we do leader stuff all the time, we say, and then we get done, we'll have five, six, seven hundred thousand leaders in the room, and say, uh, does anyone have a question? And four people will raise their hand. I'm like, for only four people, like you taught for three hours and four people have a question. Like, that would be impossible. And there's this, this thing about, I don't want anybody else to know I don't know. And we all know you don't know, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> and that's why we go, because we don't know either. And none of us were born with like all the information. And so like, I, I just really want us to just relax, you know, let down your hair, just be, you can be normal here within reason. I don't know what normal is. You know, in the Old Testament prophets, every time God came, they tore off their clothes like, don't be that normal. (laughs) You know, when I was 20, I wanted to look good without a shirt. At 40, I wanted to look good with a shirt. And at 60, I'm like, it's a lot easier just to turn the lights off before you go to bed. (sighs) So, (laughs) so I I just... uh, I really believe that one of, the main, one of the main responsibilities and privileges of a true prophet is developing culture. It, it might actually be the most important responsibility that we have is actually developing culture. Because culture is what actually shapes people. Culture, I, I explain culture. Bill has some great stuff on culture, by the way. 
if you uh, are interested, you could probably just Google Bethel TV and figure out uh, what, what messages Bill spoke on culture, because he's got two or three messages on culture. They're, they're absolutely profound. But I explain culture as that invisible force. It's kind of like, it's kind of like being in a river, and you, you can swim against the river, but it takes a lot more energy to swim against the river than it does just to go with the river. Yeah. And I, I, I notice culture a lot, uh, usually uh, in times like first day of school ministry. Let's say first week of school ministry. The students come, and they actually don't realize it, but they, they have stepped into an invisible river. And right now, I'm not talking about like, the river of God or anything like that. I'm, I'm using the metaphor to describe an invisible force that wants to go a certain direction. Yeah. And when they want to go another direction, it's kind of hard to explain, but there's something keeping them from going that way. And that's, that's one way to explain culture. Like, culture takes you places you, you don't even necessarily want to be. And culture, typically, depending on the kind of culture, actually often makes you look better than you are. Um, I, I believe that Bethel's culture, uh, well, this is going to sound totally arrogant, but I believe that Bethel's culture, one of the things that happens is, school ministry is, you're, if you're here for a year, have all this amazing stuff happen through you, but often you don't realize that the momentum, like, let me explain it this way, you've never swam that fast before, but you don't realize that you're actually swimming with a river, and one of the reasons you're going so fast is because there's already a stream that's taken you, and then you get out on your own, and you're like, watch how fast I can swim, and you're like, I did that faster at Bethel. And you know, you don't, and, and one of the things, one of our kind of metaphors, we, we say, it's good that you warmed yourself at our fire, but the question is, can you start your own? That's probably a very bad example today. I just thought of that a little late. So uh, it's funny how often we use fire as a, as a metaphor. I'm like, oh boy. And so I, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I don't know how far we'll get into it, uh, and, I, and, and, uh, but my ultimate goal this week, at least my part, and these guys, can, they have freedom to you know, venture off and do other stuff, but my part, at least, is I want to talk about ultimately where I'm going is how do you build a culture, how do you sustain a culture, and uh, how do you become a, a thermostat and not a thermometer? Yeah. You know, Jesus said if, you're, if you're, you're hot and cold, it's fine, but if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you from his mouth. And lukewarm is room temperature. Lukewarm is what you do when, what you are, when you just are whatever everyone else is, right? Yes, okay. No, I'm right about that. So I wanna, uh, so some of you, probably many of you have heard my story, but uh, many years ago, I'll just breeze through this part. I had a nervous breakdown many years ago. Uh, Kathy and I had been married one year. By the way, this is my wife. Would you stand? So sorry. So sorry. I should have honored you first. I am so sorry. I totally lost my brain. 43 years we've been married, July 19th this year. Met Kathy when she was 12. We got engaged when she was 13. That is a dysfunctional, absolutely true story. People are like, did she have a ring? Yes, I had a job. And, uh, and we, I gave her uh, her engagement ring at Christmas time. I wrapped it in, I think, like 42 boxes. You know, big, small, 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 and then put it in a can. So she had to work for our relationship. And she's been doing that ever since. 
And, uh, and so, so, and she was, so, and we have been together for 43 years, our 43rd year. Uh, we were together five years before that. Um, and uh, we have four kids and eight grandkids. And I, I want to say this, like, I love my kids, but I would have grandkids instead <laughs> had I known. So we've been together a long time, and I think it was about a year and a half after we got married, Kathy somehow got pregnant, and then she was like eight months pregnant. Now, thank you for that insight. After about the third, we figured it out, like, oh, Lord, that's what it was. So, and I had a nervous breakdown. The nervous breakdown lasted three and a half years. We were living in the Bay Area. It's funny how God will use something like bad that he didn't cause and use it for good. And uh, we, were, we were having a conversation, I don't know, it was maybe a month or two ago, and we were talking about uh, part of trusting God is trusting the process that you're in, that God somehow figures it out how to make it work for good. You know, how many know all things work together for good in the end? So if it's not good, it's not the end, you know? When something is bad is going on, I think, well, that's, the, we're not the last, that's not the last chapter of the book. And by the way, if you have a crisis in your life, write a book about it. It won't help the crisis, but at least you'll make money. And that will help. Anyway, so, <laughs> that's what I do. Anyway, uh, some of you are like, this place is a cult. So we were living in San Jose in the Bay Area. I was managing a repair shop and I had a nervous breakdown and um, I, I you know, had panic attacks, really bad panic attacks, five, six, seven, eight, nine a day. Kathy would change the sheets two and three times a night because I would sweat the sheets wet. It was a really, really tough time in our life and we had gone to a little town called Weaverville. Think about this, Weaverville. When you're in San Jose, like you're looking for someplace you're like, Weaverville sounds like the place for us. <laughs> and we had gone there, I think, on our honeymoon, and we were like, and we had been talking, you know, we were together for a long time before we got married, so, you know, we talked about, like, a little house on the prairie, like, Kathy should have been born, like, 100 years earlier, that's kind of her mindset, you know, she, she splits wood, yeah, baby, I'm telling you, she shoots better than I do, yeah, I got three deer with a car and zero with a gun, and I think, I don't know how many she's got. <laughs> I do a lot better with guided things. So, uh, so we had talked a lot about uh, living on a, you know, sometime like a farm or in the mountains. And so when I had a nervous breakdown, about I think maybe a year into that, we just started saying, well, maybe you know the pace of San Jose and the traffic and all of you who live in the city, you, you know what that's like. And and so we just went in one day and told my boss, like, we're we're done, we're quitting. And we sold our house. It sold three times in the first day. And and, uh, and my boss, the next day, came in, when he came in the shop, he said, hey, I, I'm, I'm selling the shop and going with you. So he sold the shop and bought a, a, a shop in Weaverville, where he'd never been. Oh, I think he had visited there, to tell you the truth. Never lived there. And so we went to work for him, and that's kind of our story. And in the midst of that, um, we went to this little church, uh, kind of a, a cool story. We had, we were... When Kathy, Kathy and I got saved, we received Jesus the same day. We went to this, I had had a visitation when I was 15, 
my mother had psoriasis that was covering her body, and we had a prowler, and my mother was sleeping with a shotgun, and I was sleeping with a rifle, and we had this guy that was getting in our house three and four times a week. It was very, very traumatic. I was 15 years old, and I had taken a shot at this guy with my 22 rifle the night before, and I, I wasn't a believer. I wasn't raised to be a believer. I wasn't raised to be an atheist. I was just raised to be a nothing, you know? And one night out loud, I said, if there's a God, if you, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ. You have what you requested. And the next morning, my mother was completely well of psoriasis. It was completely gone from her body. And about a week later, the voice came back. The only, time, only two times I've ever heard the audible voice of God, the voice of the Lord came back and he said, my name is Jesus Christ. You said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me and I'm waiting. So I spent with Kathy. Kathy was, uh, you know, I met Kathy when I was 15. She was 12. And so for the next three years, we were searching for God. And finally, we went to this place. We didn't even know what it is. A friend of mine that worked for me, he said, you've got to come to this place. You're going to love it. And it's a little place called the Hallelujah Singers. It was a house with about 110 to 120, 30 kids packed in. They were all ex-drug addicts, all hippies, former hippies. I didn't know what Jesus people were. I actually didn't know I got saved in the Jesus people movement for 15 years. And I started telling people who my leader was. And they go, oh, you were in the, got saved in the Jesus people movement. I'm like, oh, we did? <laughs> we didn't even know. So ignorant. And, uh, and we were in this, we, we went to this. And, and before that, we, had, we were going to church to church. And we would walk from church to church a lot. And then we'd just sit in the back of the church, I especially. And uh, I would say, you know, the God that spoke to me is not in this place. And by the way, he very well could have been. I had no idea what I was looking for. And then we went to this place with all these teenagers, and they were packed in this house. And by the way, if you got there late, my friend Steve said, hey, if we get there late, you have to sit on the lawn. And they opened the, they opened the windows and put speakers in the windows, and you sat on the lawn. It was the Jesus People Movement. How, were any of you saved in the Jesus People Movement? Yes, so some of the gray heads know what we're talking about, right? And so we, we went in there, and they were singing songs like, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And we're singing these songs, and while they were singing the songs, um, young people would stand up spontaneously. Remember, we're, we're, in a, we're in a house, packed, people up the stairs. In the, I mean, half the people could not see what was happening. They were in a, in a bathroom, in a bedroom, not a bathroom, in a bedroom, or a kitchen, outside, so we, you can hear this beautiful music from outside, from all around, everyone singing. <laughs> and, uh, and people, and young people would stand up and say, Jesus delivered me from heroin. Jesus healed my cancer. Jesus, and they would, like I'd never seen anything like this. And I said, the God who spoke to me, I said to Kathy, the God who spoke to me is here. And at the end of that message, I'm sorry, at the end of the worship, a man, his name's Ken Hughes, probably maybe four or five years younger, older than us, not, not much. He said, uh, I was 18, Kathy was 15, and he said, does anyone in here want to receive Jesus? And we both raised our hand. And, uh, and I had raised my hand four times before, and truly nothing, nothing happened. And so after, uh, after the service was over, at the service, you know, the, the, the little, he taught for a little bit, it was very simple, and he came over and sat on the floor with us, and he said, uh, you received Jesus, and, um, and you're like a little child. I, I had never read the Bible. I, I read on the third grade level when I graduated from high school. I couldn't read a Bible. 
of my life depended on it really because it was in King James anyway. <laughs> you guys remember King James. So, I mean, think about this. You know, in high school, and I'm, I'm being serious, I was in reading class from the, from the sixth grade all the way to my 12th grade. And I was still reading C, flip, run. Literally. Run, flip, run. That's where I was at. I, I, could not, I had no reading comprehension whatsoever. And so he said, uh, he explained the Bible really simply to us. And, and he, then he said to us, uh, you've been born again. And he's just shared really quickly, like very simply. And then he said, and you, you're, you're like a little child and you need a father. And he brought two men to us, younger, like, again, three years older, maybe four than us. And, you know, I was 18, so maybe, maybe they were 21 or two. And he said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? I just picked the better looking one. And that man literally became our spiritual father. And his name was Art Kipperman. And uh, a, a couple of years later, you know, uh, we got married. And he got married like a year later. And they became uh, our spiritual parents, Art and Kathy Kipperman. And I actually did his funeral, I think, 10 years ago. And then I had a nervous breakdown, and we moved to Weaverville, as I told you, kind of fast forward. We actually moved to Lewiston, which is about 45 minutes from here. Actually, Lewiston is... It's what uh, the fire is threatening right now. Which is interesting because I walked Lewiston every day, no, every Sunday for a year. The Lord told me to walk the borders of Lewiston every Sunday for a year. And, it, and someone uh, wrote me who had heard that story. They wrote me actually yesterday, I didn't tell Kathy this. So do you notice that Lewiston is protected on its borders? And, and he said, the Lord showed me it's because Chris walked the borders 35 years ago. So I pray that that, that prophecy remains true. So we moved to Weaverville, uh, Lewiston, I'm sorry, and for a year I had no spiritual father, and I had not known the Lord without a spot. I mean, the day I met the Lord, the day we met the Lord, we had spiritual parents. And you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And so for a year, in the middle of a nervous breakdown, and by the way, when we got to Lewiston, my nervous breakdown got worse instead of better. I started seeing demons, they would show up in the room. I wasn't hallucinating, they would knock pictures off the wall, the lights would turn on and off, and crazy visitations from evil spirits. And, and uh, anyway, I, I, there, that's a whole other story. I got delivered uh, three and a half years, the Lord delivered me in one night, and I learned that it's one thing to get free, it's another thing to stay free. I got free, I stayed free for a complete week, which by the way was an incredible miracle. For one week, I had no panic attacks. Remember, I was having 10 and 15 a day. I had no demonic visitations, no panic attacks, and then it started again a week later, and the Lord said, I'm gonna now I'm going to teach you how to stay free. And I'd like to just say this. I believe angels and demons travel at the speed of thought. Absolutely. What you think about has everything to do with how you are. Uh, Isaiah 54, oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. What's that mean? It means if you're afraid, you attract the very thing you don't want. So anyway, the shorter story is, and again, this is a long story. You're going to hear part of my story. I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you this part of the story. I haven't told this part of the story for a lot of years. And so um, we were in Weaverville, I'm in Lewiston, and driving into Weaverville, working in a shop there, and I would cry all the way to work and say, I, I need a spiritual father. I need a spiritual father. I'd say to the Lord, please give me a man that I can follow. Because I was five years, four years with a man, a godly man. And I was, I felt like an orphan. And one day I'm underneath this truck 
And I, I'm on, literally, I'm laying on, on the creeper underneath his truck, working on a truck, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm crying, and I'm saying to the Lord under my breath, Lord, send me a father. And the Lord says, the man who owns this truck will be your father. I'm like, I hope he's a Christian, you know? <laughs> it was a green Jeep Cherokee. I got out from the, I looked on the back window, there was a fish sticker. I'm like, hallelujah, at least the car's saved. The man came to pick up his truck in the evening. I said to my boss, hey, when this man picks up the truck, I, I'll collect the money, I'll, I'll, tell him, I'll go through the bill with him. He said, fine. The man picks up his truck. He's a man, 20, 15 years my senior, and, uh, and I'm super nervous, like my first date. <laughs> I am sweating. You know, have you ever been so nervous you just can't think of something to say, you know? So I've been waiting all day for him. Then he shows up, I'm like <laughs> I took him through every single line of the bill. Or it took me 20 minutes to explain the bill to him. And so then I follow him out to the car. I'm like, I'll walk you out to the car. And he's probably, oh, this is the best service I've ever received, you know. He gets in the Jeep. And, you know, we're in a town of 3,000 people. And he gets in the Jeep. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to see him again, you know. So I'm standing at the, at the <laughs> he's closed his door. I'm standing at the window like a freaking orphan, you know. <laughs> it probably, it should have said, choose me on it, you know. So he starts his Jeep up and I start panicking like he's going to leave and I'm never going to see him again, you know, which really isn't possible in Weaverville. So I knock on his window and, he, and, and he, you know, he, he rolls his window down and I said, when I was underneath your Jeep, you know, the Lord told me that you were, you know, the man who owns this Jeep will be your father. And I'm like, are you a Christian? <laughs> Turns his Jeep off, opens the door, puts his arms around me and said, I love to be your spiritual father. And that man's name is Bill Derryberry. Yeah. And that man's still my spiritual father. He was in church on Sunday, by the way. He's uh, in his 80s, and uh, he really had a big impact on my life. And he brought me to this little Pentecostal church. You know Pentecostal? Yeah. You understand? <laughs> so I've been with the Jesus people, then I was with the Charismatics. Then I was with the Pentecostals. So I've never been with anyone who valued the Bible. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> There's a little bit of truth to the way they prophesied, though. Didn't always have to use, you know, it wasn't always scriptural. Well, the Pentecostals were cool because I really liked them because I have a lot of, you know, like my personality is kind of like, and they, they all like spoke in tongues before they prophesied. That was kind of fun, you know. And uh, we used to have a, a uh, woman named Grandma Kale. She was a very big. Ben remembers. And we knew if the spirit was moving because she'd get up on Sunday. And when if the spirit was moving, she'd like, da, 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 da. And it didn't matter if a pr preacher was preaching or whatever. <laughs> ben, am I telling the truth? And they were little. And we're like, ooh, the spirit's moving. And she had two themes. She did not like movies, and she did not like women with makeup. And so she, you know, she'd rotate the themes. But her prophecies always had something to do with being at the movies when the Lord comes. <laughs> oh yeah, I could almost do it. And the Lord says unto you today, 
that if you come back when he's at the when you at the movies and the Lord returns, you shall be left behind. Except for she would do it in King James. I can't I can't even mimic that anymore. And so I end up at this little church of 40 people, and then we're there for like a year. Then it grew to 40 people. And then they introduced a pastor after a year, and it's a hippie pastor with a flower child wife. Long hair, sandals, mustache, and his wife looked right out of Haight-Ashbury. It was Bill and Benny Johnson. They became our pastors, and we became very close friends within... A month we had we were at their home or, or they were at ours four or five times a week and we became very very close friends and we even lived together for six months we did the kind of the hippie commune thing <laughs> not really but we did live with them for six months I remember Bill's very first message I was sitting on the second row you know and I'm used to Shabbat yeah 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 you know in the past you know you have to yell like, if it's going to be God, then you yell. That's what I was used to, you know. Not with the Jesus people. The Jesus people didn't yell. The charismatic, they didn't yell. But we were yelled. And so Bill gets up there and stands behind the podium the entire message. Like, how can a man stand behind the podium the entire message and be anointed? It's not right. And never raise his voice. And I still remember weeping in the front row, in the second row. And I said to myself, I have never heard anyone teach the Bible like this. Like, Bill does, you know what Bill does, right? He opens the Bible, and he reads from the Bible, and he doesn't even talk yet. And you're like, oh my God, where'd he get that? (laughs) To this day, I can't, I'm still like. And people quote the Bible and they go, Bill says, and I'm like, no, that was Jesus Christ, actually. <laughs> Absolutely true story. I sat in the third, second or third row, and i never forget it. I, like, Bill's teaching the Bible, and I was like, I never heard, it. you know, Job says it like this, Job 29, when I spoke, it fell on them like rain. That's, that was my, that, that's what happened to me. I was like, the entire service. I literally have never heard anyone speak like that. No hype, not a good storyteller in those days, not funny. <laughs> no, Bill's funny now, Bill's a good storyteller. This is a long time ago. Not a good storyteller, not funny, not yelling. And, you're like, and I was like, and our church grew from 40 to 150. I mean, you got to think, like, this is like revival, right? Our church, our city's only 3,000 people. Our church only holds 120 people if you sit people on the floor. And we're like, people just packed into this little building, listening to this man just talk about God as if God was his friend. And I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I mean, here's, if I have a point one, here's point one. There's something about being with the people you're supposed to be with. And it's funny how the Lord can make, no, it's funny how the, I don't know, I'll just say it simply like, the Lord has a way to get you there. 
I don't think the Lord caused my nervous breakdown. I don't think the Lord caused my demon visitations. I don't think the Lord caused any of that stuff. None of that stuff. But it's amazing how he can use anything to get you at the right place. And you know, if I hadn't met Bill Johnson, I'd still be in business. Students ask all the time, like, like, did you have a vision for the... <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I had a vision for a shop with 10 bays. And a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a franchise of auto parts houses. That's where I was going. I had three auto parts. Kathy and I had three auto parts stores and four repair shops. I mean, that's where I was going. My grandfather was a mechanic. You know, you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you should become. And that was my grandfather. He was the only man in my life who ever believed in me as a boy. And I, I was walking in his foot, so, and I was good at it. I was good at, you know, fixing cars and building businesses. I was really good at it. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I love doing that. And I met Bill Johnson. I earnestly never want to do anything else in my life. You know, kids, when they're 12 years old, you say, what do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. You could have asked me when I was eight. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a repair shop. I'm going to be a mechanic. This is what I'm, like, I knew since I was a little boy, like, this is what I'm doing. I was called to fix things. People who didn't even know me go, you're good with your hands. Like, you, you were supposed to fix stuff. That's what I was good at. And then I met Bill, and after Bill's first message, to, it's the truth, I was already our youth pastor. I didn't enjoy it, but I liked to serve. Kathy and I, we were called to serve. And, and when I heard Bill the first time, I'm like, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to do that right there. I want to do that right there. Can you teach me how to do that? And I was so attracted to Bill. Kathy could tell you, like, I was so attracted to Bill. I was like, I don't know who this man is, but whoever he is, I want to be with him. Like, when I'm with him, I feel alive. I don't mean anything weird, you know? I'm just talking about, like, something, something in me needs something in him. And something in him, I didn't say this. In those days, I couldn't, wouldn't have known that. But I, as an older man, I say, something in, in him needs something in me. And we just began to click and grow together. And, I, you know, a year and a half later, I came out of my nervous breakdown and in the middle of my nervous breakdown, you know, I was, I mean, fear was my demon. It was my heroine. I was afraid of everything. I, I had paranoia, super bad paranoia. I couldn't be in a car without rolling down the windows. It could be snowing. I had to roll down the windows. Super bad claustrophobia. And Bill would say, Bill didn't even know any of that. And Bill would say, he'd introduce me. He'd go, this is Chris Valentin. He's my friend. He goes where angels fear to tread. I'm like, well, that's calling things that are not as though they are. That's for sure. <laughs> You know, you find someone who believes in you, right? Changes your life. And people will believe in you once you're believable, but not very many people will believe in you when you're not believable. And so that man changed my life, and we, uh, we, we were together for a lot of years. And then, uh, and then the story is that Bill moved, and, and that's a long story, but the short part of it is he left uh, Weaverville and, and became the pastor of Bethel Church, and Danny Silk became our pastor. I led Danny to the Lord. I prophesied to Danny three months after he was a, after he was a Christian that he would be the next pastor of our church. Danny walked into our church after I hadn't seen him for a couple years. And uh, because our associate pastor was leaving, he walked into our church just to visit, just to say hi. And I'm like, hey, you're supposed to be our associate pastor. You're supposed to be the next pastor of our church. Danny came on about a month later to be associate pastor, and a month after that, Bill left. <laughs> you should hear Danny tell a story. It's not very funny. 
Danny thinks he got tricked into being the pastor. It's very cool. So we were two years apart, Bill and Benny and Kathy and I. Bill was here, and we were in Weaverville still with our building our repair shops. And you know, I preached three or four or five times a week, probably three times a week, four times a week. And we, we, we you know, and when you're in a small church, the elders do everything. We were elders. We did everything. We had youth groups and, you know, deliverance groups and, and, and repossession groups. and <laughs> We had it all, man. And uh, we just, and so when Bill and Benny left, it was actually, do you ever have a relationship where you need a break? Like, I wouldn't have said it, but when Bill and Benny left, like, I think our relationship honestly needed a break. Not because we were, like, mad at each other, but just because, you know, you just don't appreciate what you, what you have all the time. Yeah. Now, it's a two-year break, and then... We, uh, my kids, uh, two of my, my, my daughter and, and my son-in-law, we were leading a base in Colorado. It was a YWAM base. And they asked Bill to come and speak. It was during the renewal. And Bill said, why don't you come with us? Why don't you come with me? And you can see your kids and we could connect again because we haven't seen each other very much. So we went to uh, Colorado together. It's, it's like four feet of snow on the ground. And we stayed in a cabin, this little cabin. You know YWAM, youth without money. <laughs> we stayed in this little cabin, and, uh, Ed, and we had this great ministry, and again, to make the story a little bit shorter, I'll, I won't tell you about that, but we had a great time ministering to them, but we stayed in this little cabin for six days, and the, it was a very little cabin. It had a bathroom and, and two twin beds, and one twin bed, like the bathroom's here, one twin bed here, and one twin bed here. And there was no kitchen or anything, just one, it was basically one, two rooms, including the bathroom. So in the middle of the night, I had to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and I would walk by Bill, and in the middle of the night, in his sleep, he'd be saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're amazing. In his sleep. I didn't even do that when I'm awake. <laughs> We'd been apart for two years. By the fifth day, I, got, I was so wrecked. I would lay in my bed and weep. And so we, the, I think it was five or six days, we, we flew home, we flew to San Francisco, and we're sitting, and you know, I don't know if you know Bill, but Bill don't talk. Like, he, he's like a hermit. I think hermits talk, he doesn't talk at all. You can literally sit with Bill. Dano has been with him. You, uh, we drive for hours, and if you don't talk, he don't talk. And when he does talk, he's uh huh. That's good. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's like if you don't keep the conversation going. It's like a driving with the brakes on. <laughs> so we're sitting. Uh, we're waiting for the uh, the little plane that goes to Reading, and it's maybe uh, we have this little layover. So we're having we're having lunch, and, and I am wrecked. Like, I am so afraid that if I say anything like, I'm going to say something really stupid, you know? I love you. You know, just something like, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to say. You know, you ever just be so, like, you can't even arrange your thoughts? Like, I, I don't even know what's happening to me. And so Bill's sitting there, and, and, and there's nothing happening. We're not talking, because I'm not talking, and he never does. So <laughs> finally, in the middle of the non-conversation, he looks up and said, I, I want to start a school of ministry in Weaverville. And I want you and Kathy to lead it. Reading, I mean. 
And I said, uh, okay. And I think he means, you know, like drive down in the evenings, we're going to have a night class. So I'm like, oh, so, so what day do you want to do it? He's like, what do you mean what day? I mean, we're like, we're going to do this on Saturdays? He goes, no, no, I want you to leave your business and I want you to come start a school ministry. And he goes, and by the way, I can't pay you because, quote, things are a little tight. <laughs> That's another story. And, I, and in my heart, like immediately my, my heart goes, I was born to be with this man. But I said, I have to pray about it. <laughs> so we get home, I walk in the house, and you know, Kathy's, you know, we haven't seen the kids for months, you know. So Kathy's like, how are the kids, you know, how are they doing? And I walk in, hi honey, how was your trip? You know, how are the kids? And I'm like, fine, I'm in love with the man. I'm in love with a man. She's like, and I'm trying to get my composure back. She's like, what, what's, what's wrong? I'm in love with a man. I was born to be with him. This is way before, the, you know, there was LTGBTCZQ. And she's like, what? and so I explained to her the story. But I'm in the bed, in the, in, the, in, the, in the cabin with this man for six days. And I start telling her what happened. And I said, I was born to be with this man. We were born to be with these people. And my wife, she's a very strong lady. My wife is, seems quiet, but she's not a doormat. And she's been with me since I was 15. And she said, honey, I asked one question. And she said, well, what are we, you know, my wife's really practical, like, what are we gonna do with our business? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, what are we gonna do with, I don't know. Where are we gonna live? I don't have any idea. I was born to be with this man. I'll never forget this. She said, honey, I have one, I want to, would you, I just want one thing. I said, okay, that the Lord would talk to you the way he's talked to me. That's the only thing I ask. That seems very fair. We're going to uproot 20 years of business, the house we built in the woods, all of the dreams we have live in the woods. Well, the next week she went to Morningstar. You know a Morningstar, Rick Joyner, Morningstar? Bob Jones. I'll tell you some stories tomorrow. <laughs> Bob Jones turned into be one of my spiritual fathers. He still is. When I go to heaven, I see him all the time. Like, I'm up there a lot. <laughs> so she goes to Morningstar for six days. I think it was seven days or something. It was quite a long time. And so every night we talked. And every night I would say, you know, does Jesus talk to you? No, 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 no. It's the sixth day. 
last day, whatever, sixth, seventh, whatever the last day was. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm heartbroken. She is too. Like, we're heartbroken. Like, tell us no, tell us yes, tell us whatever, but I'm in love with the man. <laughs> so on this, I think the last day, uh, Ray Hughes is speaking, and, uh, and, he, and he starts teaching like he does, and then he, he just puts the Bible away and says, I'm not supposed to do this. And then he says, I, I just supposed to, and he starts talking about like coming down out of the mountains and going to Bethel. There's some of you coming down out of the mountains and going to Bethel. So Kathy calls me and she's like, and she's on the floor weeping. And while she's crying, an older lady looks at her and says, honey, don't be surprised if what you heard isn't what he said. She gets home. Of course, we're all excited. She gets, buys the VC. Remember the VCRs? And remember the cassettes, they go around in a little thing like this, you put them in it. And we get the cassette, we put it in, fast forward it. He says, I'm not supposed to be doing this, and says nothing about Bethlehem, nothing about mountains. And she goes, it's on the video, I got the video. We put the video in, fast forward, says nothing about Bethlehem, nothing about mountains. And she said, honey, I'm telling you, he said, you're coming down all the mountains and you're going to Bethel. Then she goes, and when I was on the floor, a lady said to me, don't be surprised if what you heard isn't what he said. So we go to Bethel. That's another story. Sold our business, the people we sold to, multi-million dollar company. We were going to have a quarter of a million dollars to live on because Bethel had no money. We get to Bethel, we're there one month, and the company we sold to went bankrupt and took all of our stuff with them. We lost our house, we lost all four of our businesses, we lost our entire crew, and all we had was two old cars and our furniture. That was it. Welcome to Bethel. And we owed $1.8 million. And the Lord told us a week later we couldn't bankrupt. I'm like, oh, we know what we'll be doing the rest of our lives. And then we find out that Bethel has no money either. A month after I was there, I walk into the CFO's office, and, our, and, and he's crying. <laughs> and I said, uh, Steve, are you all right? He said, no. I didn't know him. I mean, I knew him to say hi. You know, we were in the staffings together. I didn't know anybody but Bill. And I'm like, what's going on? And he had piles, four piles. He goes, this pile is 120 days late. This pile is 90 days late. This pile is 30 days late. And this is our current bills. And we have a $40,000 payroll on Friday. And we are overdrawn in our checkbook. I said, have you talked to Bill? He said, yeah, I just got out of there. And he told me, take $10,000 and give it to another church. Best thing we can do is give when we're in trouble. And he was crying. And Bill said, we are a little tight. <laughs> a little tight. I just want you to know, like, it isn't like all, you know, peaches and cream or whatever you like. Well, we get to Bethel, and uh, we're there. The first Sunday, we're there. Kathy's there. We're there. Again, lost everything. Moved into a little apartment. Obviously, incredibly tough time in our life. And Bill introduces us, and he says, this is Chris Vallotton. He's a prophet. I never knew Bill thought I was a prophet. He's never used the word prophet around me. He said, this is Chris Felton. He's a prophet. He'll be the Bethel prophet. 
Now, you know a prophet has no honor in his hometown, but Reading is not my hometown. Weaverville is. So all these people, they've never seen me before. And Bill's like, he's a prophet. Really weird stuff would happen. So people, so I'm on staff now, and, and, and I'm not getting paid. I don't get paid for a year. Neither one of us. And, and staff members, I had an office. People, staff members would come into my office, who I don't know. Remember, I don't know anybody except for Bill. They'd stand in my doorway and confess their sins. I, I, like, you, you have to understand, like, I had no idea why are they doing this. Like, and, and I don't mean one, I mean like they take turns. I stand in my doorway and like, I know you're a prophet and I just, you know, I, I've had a struggle with pornography and I just felt like I was supposed to come and tell you, you know, I don't want you to like call me out in the crowd or... No idea you had a problem with pornography, you know? So... So I'm like, wow, okay, this is weird, you know? And I have really, like, specific words for the staff that I wasn't, I, you know, we always had prophetic ministry for 15 years in, at, in, at Little Mount Chapel. We had prophetic teams, prophetic ministry. We'll talk about that another time. But, but this wasn't that. And so, you know, and I, like, made lots of mistakes in Weirville. Like, instead of a going away party, when we, when we left Weirville, they had like a get out of here party. <laughs> now they love us, but you know, I mean, we have, we, I, I'll, we'll talk about it at some point, you know. So, so uh, I had all the staff, like these 40 people who work for Bill, is a very weird time. Anyway, so we're, I'm there like two weeks and we're building a prayer chapel. Now you have to understand, we're building a prayer chapel by the word of the Lord, not by money. We're not paying our staff. We're holding our payrolls. We're not paying our suppliers. And Bill gets this prophetic word that we're supposed to build a prayer chapel, which is totally Bill. Bill is like, he doesn't have any earthly like connection. He's like freaking Moses. We call him Moses. He's not administrative. He's not a builder. People are like, Bill's a builder. Like, Bill, no, 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 no. We, I wouldn't trust Bill with a hammer. That would not be good. No, I mean, obviously he's super talented, but you get the idea. It's like, and, and he, gets this, he, he, he gets this prophetic word and a vision to build this prayer chapel, and he draws it with a, you know, an earth in the middle. I don't know if you know our prayer chapel. But it has an earth in the middle and water flowing over it, and it's got four sides, north, south, east, and west, and it's got a peculiar, you know, heck, uh, what would you call it, octagon, octagon, you know, building, and he, so he shares with the elders about this building, and one of the elders says, um, hey, I'll be back, I gotta go home. He goes home, and he brings back plans for the identical shape with the earth in the middle, octagon, and Bill's like, we're building this. No money, we're building this. So I get there, and they're already in the middle, like they've, you know, they've, like, I think they've, like, cleared the land, and it's $237,000 at the time. And so, you know, so Bill, so we're in this meeting, prayer meeting. Are you guys bored? I'm so sorry. Like, this is so, I'm sorry. I've told these stories for years. But we're in this meeting, prayer meeting, I'm sorry, prayer meeting before Sunday morning with all the staff, right? I, I remember, I don't know anybody. I'm Bill's friend. And, and they don't really know, like, Bill just introduced me as a prophet. Like, what's a prophet? Like, do we have a, like, are, is Bill, is Chris going to, like, going to say prophet above the door, like, Literally, like, people are like, he's a prophet. Like, 
is that a staff position, prophet? <laughs> Literally, like, we didn't know. Like, is, I'm like, I have no idea. Like, are you going to, like, it's going to, I said, I don't know. I didn't know I was a prophet till Bill said, <laughs> prophet. I actually did have an encounter I'll tell you about tomorrow. But so, so what, we're standing there uh, 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 praying. And while we're praying, you know, 30, 30 guys, mostly guys, and I have this prophetic word, so I lean over to Bill, who I have lots of confidence, and Bill knows me, I know him, and really well, so I'm like, hey, I have this prophetic word for you, I want to give it to you when the prayer meeting's over. He goes, no, just give it to me now. I said, no, 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 I want to give it to you when the prayer meeting's over. <laughs> he looks over and he goes, give it to me now. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> I said, okay, the Lord told me that because... You know, we had a thousand people leave here. Our church split in half when we renew, when Bill embraced the renewal. And Bill just had, like, Bill said, I don't care if it's just me and Benny. <laughs> so, I mean, here goes Moses, you know. <laughs> I can just picture Benny in the front row and Bill taking offerings, you know. <laughs> like, Bill's like, I'm not changing, I'm not changing the theme. Like, we're going to do God. That's it. No youth groups. <laughs> No home groups, no nothing, but children, you know, nursery and Holy Spirit. So a thousand people left, and the Lord said, "This is the word: because you did not deviate from the, the commission I gave you, I'm going to raise the money for your prayer chapel all in one day as a sign that I am with you." So, have you ever prophesied something that you're like, "Holy gamoli!" What did I just do? So, you know, so right after that happened, the anointing lifted. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Have you ever had anything like that happen to you before? I'm like, you push sin, then you were, oh my. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> so half an hour later, the service starts. I am terrified. So I take my head and I put it underneath the seats during worship. And they're worshiping, you know, around me. And I have my, I'm laying on my stomach underneath, on my head's underneath the chair. I'm like, oh, holy ghost, holy ghost. Shut up, I'm a Pentecostal. <laughs> and the worship gets over and Bill stands up and he, to preach. And I'm still under there. You know, I even turned Catholic. I was like, whatever works right now, man. Lord, please get me out of this mess, you know. And Bill gets up and in his very, like, non-emotional you know, way, shares about this prayer chapel. And I figure out, like, he's going to take an offering this morning. And the word was, you're gonna, it's all going to come in in one day. Wait, well, I mean, our offerings were like 10,000 a week at the most. And we need 237,000. And I'm underneath there and he's sharing and I don't know how long goes by. It feels like forever. Then he said, uh, we're going uh, to take an offering. And I feel like what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to just come up and put the money on the stage. And then we're going to have people come. And then we're going to have some folks come up and count it while you wait. And we're going to add it up. And then we're going to tell you how much it is. I'm like, oh. <sighs> cannot get worse. So I'm under there, and I can hear, you know, you can hear people walking by. Like, so when it was the offering time, Bill has people, and I, I hear people getting up and walking. And then, and then when that's all done, Bill said, okay, I'd like to have some folks come up, about maybe five of you, help uh, count the money. So, and then he goes, Chris, I think you should help. And I'm still under there, I'm like, 
I'm, I shouldn't be counting. So we count the money. We're up there counting. I am so terrified. We're counting the money. We scoop it up in a little, you know, and we're, you know, separating them into denominations and, you know, counting the money. And, and, the, and the accountant, Steve, is adding them up on a, literally on an adding machine. And it gets all done. All the money's in. And, and you know, he hits the total button. And I, I had scraped up about 15,000. I said, okay, 15,000 times five. Oh, Lord, we're so short. $237,000.37 came in that day. And I'm like, of course, I are a prophet. What's the problem? I decree a thing and it happens. Scared to death. I'm just going to, I'm going to land this plane now. Yeah, good. <laughs> the leaders are like, good. That plane needs to be landed. I, I shared that story. And I feel like it's a great introduction for you. And I tell that story for me. Because people are like, I'm called to be a prophet, but my pastor doesn't recognize me. I'm called to be a prophet, but my, the, I'm in a denomination that doesn't believe in prophets. False prophets, but not real ones. <laughs> 35 years earlier, I was in the bathtub. And I used to pray in there because truly, because it was the only door that locked in our house and we had four kids. And I'd sit in the bathtub, cloth a bathtub, Kathy could tell you, and I would sit there for an hour while Kathy made dinner. It was my break time after work, so I got an hour to myself, and then the kids were mine after that. It was kind of our, our tradition. And I'm doing what I've done for years and years and years. I'm in the bathtub, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm praying. It's nothing spiritual. There's no stars, no angels, no singing. And when I'm in there, just a normal time with no feeling, you all know what that's like. Jesus walked through the wall. Never had it happen before or since. He walks to the wall and he's standing in front of me. I would assume a vision, but an open vision. I see it with my eyes. And he begins to say to me, 35 years ago, it was the year after my nervous breakdown was over. And he said to me many things. He stayed with me a half an hour and he told me about my entire life. And remember, I'm just getting well from a nervous breakdown. Lots of things he said I've still never told anybody. And when, it, the, when the encounter was over, I didn't tell my wife for a year. Truly because I didn't, it was so precious, I was afraid with where I had been, I, I just didn't have the emotional strength for someone to say that wasn't the Lord, to be honest. And the Lord looked at me and he said, these are some of the things he said to me and I'm going to tell you a few of them. He said, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. You're going to stand before kings and presidents and prime ministers and mayors and governors and you are going to change the course of history and you are going to be like Daniel and you are going to lead kings into the kingdom. It was a long word and I laid there just like this in shock. And the Lord turned to go in the vision. And when he got to what would be the door of the bathroom, he turned back to me 
And he walked back up to me, and he looked in my eyes, and this part I will never forget, I could see the world in his eyes. And he said to me, history will tell us if you believe me. He said to me, history will tell us if you believe me. And then he turned and disappeared in front of me. History will tell us if you believe me. It's 35 years before I came to Bethel Church. No, I'm sorry. That's not true. It's 35 years from now. It's 15 years before I came to Bethel Church. Before we came to Bethel Church. No one had ever called me a prophet besides that vision. No one had ever referred to me as a prophet. And I carried this word for 15 years. You know, the first few months, I'm like, any day now, Billy Graham's going to call me. <laughs> actually, the truth is, I actually thought the President of the United States would call me. I, I truly did. Now, obviously, you would all know that that sort of waned after a couple years. I'm like, all right, sort of the vision, you know, kind of waned, and, and the, 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 the angst of it, the, the unction of it waned. And years passed. And when I got to Bethel, I'd be walking through the hall, and someone would, again, no one knows me, someone would say, hey, uh, you, I don't know what this means, but I saw you in the White House. Remember, nothing for 15 years. Not a, not, we'd have prophets come, and they're like, you're supposed to be in business. This, every prophecy I had was in business. Until I got to Bethel. People say, I saw you in the White House. I saw you in the Capitol. I saw you in the, I saw you in the mayor's office. And I remember, like, I wouldn't tell anybody. I'd just keep it like Mary in my heart. I didn't tell anyone, like, I know about this from 15 years earlier. And my point, the entire point of my message, people, you know, some of you, many of you are in here and you're like, God, you had a God encounter. You're like, I know I have a big call in my life but my leadership doesn't recognize it. And like between the promise and the palace is always the process. If you figure out some way to get around the process and get to the palace sooner than you're supposed to be, you can't stay in the palace because it is the process that gives you the character to stay in the palace. It's like, you don't understand how frustrated I am. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I understand how frustrated I am. And I'll tell you something else that I understand that you may not. I understand how scary it is when someone introduces you as something that you never knew anyone else thought of. And now you have to decide how you navigate favor. Because you go from no one knowing you to everyone thinks you're something amazing. And I'm going to tell you something, that is much harder than being unknown. And Kathy could tell you, I spent the next five years trying to figure out how the heck these people... Everybody thinks I'm supposed to do that. Can you, you pray over me? Can you wave your hand over me? Can you touch me? And anxiety began to come back because now people are putting pressure on you that you've never readied yourself for. And I have to spend the next six, seven, eight years. To this day, I'll just be totally transparent. About four years ago, the Lord elevated my place and Every Sunday, Ben knows, I've told the whole staff, like, I have tons of anxiety. Like, I, I've never had social anxiety before. But the pressure of people, like, I read your book, I saw you on it, I just, like, I heard you did, that's like, I, I just, me. 
I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just a guy who wanted to be a mechanic. Like, how did you build all this? Oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have nothing in me that says I did this or Bill and I did this or, Bill and, or, or the team did this. Like, what's happening here? I have no idea how it happened. Like, I understand how 1,000 people got here. I have no idea how 10,000 people got here. I understand how we have 300 students in school. I'm being totally honest and transparent with you. I have no idea why we have 2,800 students this year. I have no idea. I don't even know what the heck you're doing here. <laughs> I earnestly don't. Like, people show up like this. I'm like, what the heck? It's the X factor. It's the X factor. You do what you do, and when God's called you, and when the time is right, and when you find your people, all of a sudden things happen, you're like, you scratch your head. People are like, you're so arrogant. Listen, you can't be doing this and be arrogant. Like, every night I go home, and I'm like, I don't even understand what these people are doing here. You, you know, favor actually keeps you humble. I am so excited you're here. And if I could just end with anything, I would like to say, be patient. Hang in there. A piece, of the, a, a piece of the thing that I didn't understand is enjoy the process. Sometimes you can be like, when I get to the palace, it's a, it's a metaphor. When I get to the palace, life is going to be so amazing. I'm like, you're going to miss the joy of the process. And having been the guy in the palace, I'm like, the palace isn't any better than the journey with Jesus. Like, the palace is great, but the journey's great, too. And I'll tell you the truth, once you get to the palace, sometimes you long. You long for Weaverville. I can't tell you, we've had lots of conversations, lay awake at night, tears in both of our eyes. Remember when life was simple. Remember when we could go in the grocery store and nobody knew us. Nobody cared to talk to us. The only thing people wanted to talk to me about is, hey, I got a problem with my car. <laughs> and life was so much easier. And the other thing is, people hate you for no reason. <laughs> like they, don't, they think you don't have feelings. They write terrible things about you. It's like, it, like there's no t- truth in almost none of it. And I'm like, I say to Kathy all the time, like, they could write about true stuff in our life that's so bad. <laughs> they need to go to Weaverville and interview people I grew up with. Like, the stories are so much worse than what they put on there. It's like, but they can't do it because I write about myself before they get a chance to. I just say terrible stuff, weird stuff. You know, all we've ever wanted to do, it's the truth, we've got it wrong so many times, but all we really want to ever do is love Jesus. That's all we've ever wanted to do and help people love Jesus. It's what we've done our whole life. Yeah. And sometimes you stand in front of people and you get it wrong and you're streaming and you don't get it right and you don't practice your lines for, you know, 10 hours before you speak. It's all live, no, no editing. And in an hour message, people pick one thing out, you said. It's like, oh my goodness. Do you know how long it takes to make one hour and a half movie? Eight, nine, ten months, a hundred thousand shoots, thousands of hours of, of film, and we get up on the fly and share and hopefully get it all right. And people scrutinize you and say things about you and 
people hate you, they don't even know you. Like, how do you hate someone you don't even know? And they, they read your, in your motives, like the reason he did that, like, wow, I don't even know what my motives are. I'm glad you know them. <laughs> I bet you don't know your motives either. Do you know why you did every good thing? I don't even think like that. I just move forward. But was this for me or for the Lord? I don't know. When it, at the end of the day, when we get to heaven, he's going to go, there's your pile, and there's my pile. <laughs> like, whoa, good thing there's some of that. Good thing there's something in your pile. Now my pile looks so big until you put the fire to it, and it's like, wow. Pretty flammable stuff I built over there. Anyway, can I pray for you? Would you stand, please? Thank you for giving me an hour and 20 minutes. Daniel, have I ever done this in 14 years, that message? No. In 14 years, 14 times we've done this. I think we've done this 12 times in 14 years, actually. I, I, I don't think I've, I think I've told a little piece of that story, but I've never made a message out of it. So, uh, you endure till the end and you shall be saved. That's in the Bible. I just pick them out just like that, you see? See how I just said them, just like Bill. Can you put your hand on your heart? You know the Lord values faithfulness? I'm going to say something I haven't thought through, but it's probably close to being right. I think the Lord values faithfulness more than he values any other single thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's say this. He values faithfulness at least as much as he values anything. And I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that you're all really faithful. Like you're, all, you're already successful. Like, you're not going to be more successful. You're already successful. The Father really loves you. And the favor of the Lord is on you. I really mean, like, everyone who's supposed to be here in this room is here, and the people who shouldn't hear this word, they didn't come. So this is not a group word. This is specifically for y'all. And the Lord says, you're faithful, and you're his friend. And that friends influence friends. And listen to this, and you're already successful. Yes. You're already successful. And I understand that you would love to have more success, and by the way, I would love to have more success too. So no matter where you are in the journey, if you love God, you always want more. I'm not talking about more stuff, I'm just talking about you want more success in God. But the Lord says you're already successful. You're already successful because you're faithful. Unlike what... Daniel was sharing about Jonah, where Jonah did not do the word of the Lord. You guys are doing the word of the Lord. Like you are faithful. And I want to bless you as a father. One of the things I've learned is that a father's blessing, and I'd say a mother's blessing, a blessing from an elder can be more powerful than anything anyone would articulate. And I've learned when someone says bless you, you don't just do it when you sneeze. When someone says, bless me, it can be a child. I always say, and I think it's always, if I miss, it's been very few times, I always say, I receive that. Because I realize what's in a blessing. You know, if a Satanist came and said, I curse you, a lot of the people in this room would have anxiety. 
because they believe it. Like, oh, what's going to happen? If a witch doctor in, in Africa said, I'm going to curse you, some of us would have anxiety because we actually believe he has the power to do that. But then we come into a culture of blessing and someone says, bless you. And you're like, oh, hi to you too. And yet I think there's, they may not even know it, but they just release something like peace in the air, like the disciples releasing peace. And I, and I think it's important for us to go, I, I receive that. I'll take that for me and I'll take it for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids because this isn't all about me. And so I release blessing over you right now in Jesus' name. I release the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob. I release the blessing that Jacob gave Manasseh and Ephraim. I release the blessing of the Lord over your life that Paul gave Timothy when he said, I put my hands on you and I released a spiritual gift to you that you might be established. And Lord, I release a spiritual gift to every person in this room, not just like a gift of prophecy or a, a, a gift of word of knowledge, but the gift of favor. And I stand as an example of God can do it for someone like me. And I, I, by the way, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a piece of junk. But I'm also not the most intelligent person in this room. And if the Lord can use me, I believe he can use anyone in this room. And I bless you with the favor that the Lord's put on my life. And I release it to every one of y'all. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed that message. You know this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience all of God's goodness in every area of your life. I want you to know God's abundance from the inside out. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. It's just released and now available for purchase wherever you buy your books. Check it out if you're tired of living with the never-enough mindset and want to move into experiencing the wealth of heaven regardless of your circumstances. Don't forget to let me know what you think. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a blessed day.